The Old Testament text is the 102nd Psalm. Hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forgot to eat my bread because of my loud groaning. My bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl in the, of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingled tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like a evening shadow. I wither like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is time to favor her. The appointed time has come. Your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. That he looked down from his holy height from heaven, the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners to set those who were doomed to die or set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise. When peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord, he has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. O my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, for whose years endure you whose years endure throughout all generations for I'm sorry of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands they will perish but you will remain they will all wear out like a garment you will change them like a robe and they will pass away but you are the same and your years have no end the children of your servants shall dwell secure their offspring shall be established before you. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we see another psalm expressing distress. And in fact, in the Psalter, there's a... uh, an introduction to this psalm, uh, the occasion for this psalm is uh, the situation that is described here. A prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. One of the things that's uh, marvelous about our faith is that we don't need to uh, sort of uh, come before the Lord and put on airs and pretend things are going perfectly well. Uh, the Lord has a perfect understanding of what we're actually going through. And uh, what we see in the Psalms is some pretty direct speech, uh, appeals to God for mercy, and uh, remarkable descriptions of the 
the, the difficulties that the psalmists uh, find themselves in. The psalm begins with this uh, reference to a day of distress. See that there in verse 2. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Sometimes it seems like that's the case every day. The day of my distress just happens to be every day. Uh, hopefully you don't find yourself in, that, in, in, a, in a scenario like that. But uh, like I noted, you don't need to hide the fact from the Lord. The Lord knows that perfectly well. And uh, what happens when we find ourselves in conditions that are distressing, uh, we have what you could say is a wake-up call. uh, And that wake-up call is you're vulnerable. There's something that is threatening uh, and is uh, in in your life that is calling for your attention, and it's gotten it. And that's why you feel distressed. I'm I'm reminded of the the quote from Samuel Johnson uh, that, that goes like this. Uh, this is uh, from September 19th, 1777. I'm not sure who he's speaking to, but Boswell was there and wrote it down. He said, uh, Depend on it, sir. When a man knows that he is to be hanged in a fortnight, it concentrates the mind wonderfully. <laughs> and that's what happens when you find yourself uh, at those moments in your life where you're distressed and you're not really sure what to do. Uh, you know, the statement, there are no atheists in foxholes, I don't know if that's entirely true, but it makes sense that if you're in a foxhole, you're in a war, you might lose your life at any moment. It has a way of uh, clarifying your vulnerability as well as your dependency. Uh, you need protection at a moment like that. And uh, some folks you know, write off that as uh, you know, duress, people you know, saying things and doing things that they wouldn't under normal circumstances say and do. But actually, I think it's it's a, it's a really a remarkable thing that there are no fox, uh, atheists in foxholes because uh, a foxhole really is a, is a good place to sort of look out on the world and kind of see things as they really are because we really are vulnerable. Um, we're deceived when we don't think that's the case. When we recognize our vulnerability, it's like a revelation. Wow, I'm not everything that I thought I was. In a moment, my life could be snuffed out. And that's actually the case all the time. So the foxhole is a a good thing. And I wonder sometimes, and I include myself uh, with this rhetorical question, what would it take for God to get my attention? What would it take for God to get your attention? Often, these distressing experiences that we pass through, God is using to get our attention. Hello, you're not everything you think you are. Hello, you need me for every breath that you take, for every beat of the heart that you depend on. You rely on me. So it's simply the case. That's the truth. Now, one of the marvelous things about the Psalms is their poetry. And we live in a, we live in a poem. The creation that surrounds us is a poem. The word, the term poem uh, its roots etymologically actually go back to just simply what is made or something that is made. We live in a creation, and that creation speaks. So it's poetic in character in both senses of the word. It speaks to us, but it's also spoken into existence. And uh, in the vicissitudes of life, the poetic is really, I think, where we tend to, to go. We need something that can speak to us at a level that say, um, history or just simple, you know, propositional statements can't. 
Have you ever found yourself in a situation like that where you're distressed, you're not really sure what to do, and it just seems like the Gospels are just too cheerful? They just don't address, <laughs> you know, the kind of the crisis that you're, you're, you're dealing with. And Paul, for all of his uh, pr- profundity, just tastes like straw. It's, it's at a moment like that you need to break out the Psalms and uh, read things like we see here in this passage. Uh, we're told uh, about bones smoldering, uh, heart, uh, a heart that's withered like grass, feeling as lonely as an owl. Do we have many owls around here? I know back east, uh, you know, in the, in the night, uh, the evening hours, you know, you get that, that lonesome, woo, and you say, man, that is kind of freaky. <laughs> but there is something about the, the, the voice of an owl in the evening hours that uh, conveys to us a sense of loneliness, being alone. And there's no flight into sleep either. Now, let me just read this passage to you again here to kind of get my thoughts uh, together and to convey to you what I'm trying to say. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl in the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All day my enemies taunt me, those who deride me, Use my name for a curse, for I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. There's an image. God taking the psalmist up and throwing him down. And then he fears a premature death. We see that at the very, uh, near the very end of the psalm in verses 23 and 24. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh, my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. So we have passages of Scripture that we can turn to when we actually are in distress and we don't know where to turn. And they express really the cry of our hearts. But there's a remarkable transition that occurs in the psalm. And by the way, have you noticed that with the psalms, that things can turn just on a dime? One moment uh, you hear a lament, and the next moment you hear praise. And we see that here in the psalm in verse 13. Uh, The psalmist says, You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. And then he goes on to describe the blessings that will follow. So confidence arises in the midst of this distress, and it's like a, a light that's just turned on, a dawn that's, that's broken, and the light uh, instantly floods the psalm and gives it an entirely different cast and character. Now, where does that light come from, though? We're not told explicitly here, but I think there's uh, something implied that's important for us to note. First of all, it doesn't come from uh, a sense of optimism. It's not just simply a, you know, P, a PAM, you know, po- or P- PMA, positive mental attitude. This isn't, this isn't uh, the psalmist just sort of like, uh, you know, talking to himself and trying to cheer himself up. He's actually, uh, a, you know, noting that God is up to something and uh, that his deliverance is at hand. 
And the reason that's so is because he's recalling God's uh, conduct in the past, and I think implicit in this passage is a recollection of God's, or remembrance of God's promises. But the thing I think I'd like to think about here is just to whom are these promises addressed? It's worth considering because within this psalm we have the, the term Zion used again and again. And uh, the term Zion refers to not just a, an individual, but a, actually a group of people. So um, where does God begin? God doesn't begin in terms of you know, addressing this particular person's distress uh, in isolation. I know we live in a society where the individual is sort of the, sort of the focus of, of every thought. You know, what's in it for me? Uh, you know, my freedoms are the things that I'm concerned about. Uh, and, it, and our thoughts generally are exhausted when we come to the end of ourselves. But here we see that the place where the psalmist begins is not with, you know, himself. It's with his membership in a larger group, Zion. Zion is a reference, of course, to the city of the Lord, the city of the great king. And we are Zion. So when we think about our deliverance, we need to move from a me to a we and think in those terms. You know, I I think uh, we all long to belong to something that's significant, bigger than ourselves, and we find, you know, meaning when we think of ourselves uh, as a part of something larger than ourselves. And that's what we have implied here. We belong to a group. We belong to the Lord as a people. And that's what we see addressed here in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So let me begin at verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like, you yourselves like living stones, plural, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For for it stands in scripture, behold, I I am laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but uh, for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, the stone of stumbling and a rocket of offense. And then in verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When you think about your status as a Christian, of course, your personal relationship with the, with the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely you know, sort of paramount. But you're not in this alone. You belong to a people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And I think... As a people, we need to learn to think in those terms more and more. We really do need each other, and we're given to each other by the Lord to help each other and to build each other up. But is that the way we uh, sort of, you know, feel like things work? Is that the way our culture has established our presets? No, it's not that way. We tend to think about ourselves in isolation. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's uh, so easy for some people to just 
walk away from, the, from their brothers and sisters in Christ because they don't think of themselves primarily as members of the church and that the promises that God has made are to the church and our access to those promises is, uh, is, is you know, due to the fact that we belong to God as the church, as this community of priests. So with all those things in mind, I think the thing that I think is worth remembering is that we are a part of a city, God's city, in contrast to another city, the city of man. Uh, St. Augustine uh, put it uh, this way with his book, The City of God. There is a city of man that is you know, suffused with sin and injustice, and it's the, and it's the place that we find ourselves uh, before we're converted. But then we are translated and brought into a new city, the city of God. And these two cities exist alongside one another. But we are, you know, people who are looking forward to a city whose builder and maker is God. And so we have this kind of contrast. And you can see this uh, in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 3, we see the city of man under construction. I'm talking about Babel, of course. And there, it's all about the the people who belong to that city. They're trying to make a name for themselves, trying to hold everything together to be a unified political community, but without acknowledging the lordship and rule of the true king, God. So they're trying to order their lives according to their own lights. And as we see in the story, everything just falls apart in the end. And that's, by the way, the script. Uh, there is no place of enduring justice and enduring um, uh, rest in this world because it's under a curse. But there is another city, and we see that city referred to in Hebrews chapter 11, specifically in verse 10, where we're told that Abraham was a stranger. He, he uh, just, well, in fact, let me take you to that passage because it's uh, so great and uh, Poetic, speaking of poetry, that I don't want to uh, miss the significance of it by misquoting it. By uh, beginning of verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Does this language of building remind you of what we just read from Peter? We belong to that city. We are living stones being built up into a habitation for our God. And we uh, should think of ourselves primarily as citizens of that city. Now, going back to the psalm, the 102nd psalm, uh, we see that the that the citizens of this city uh, are uh, more uh, sort of significant in terms of time and space than I think we can appreciate. Notice that uh, there's a reference to generations unborn. Let me take you there to that part of the the psalm. They're um, trying to find my place and I'm not succeeding. Verse 18, let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. 
So the citizens of this city uh, are not just simply those who are with us today, but those, there are people that are in God's mind who have yet to be created, who belong to that city. And because we uh, are remembered by God, we can be remembered by them. Uh, we see in verse 12 a reference to God's memory. For you are remembering God. For you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. So the, the citizens of this city are, are on God's mind, and they remember him. Uh, we die, although, because we're mortal and we can be forgotten, but the one who is the maker of this city, the one who makes us citizens of it, knows us and does not forget us. And that's one of the reasons why we're encouraged and why we can pass on the testimony of what God has done for us to our children so that they can remember what God has done and call out to Him and enjoy His deliverance in their own lives. Now, one of the things about the troubles that we find ourselves in life is that uh, we find ourselves in a situation where uh, we can be, you know, we can have a sense of being overwhelmed by our troubles, and those troubles can blind us to just the nature of God's rule in the world. But getting our perspective is something that God can help us with by taking us out of the immediate situations that we find ourselves in and showing us the beginning and the end. And that's what we have at the end of this psalm. You go to the end of the psalm, you'll see a reference to that. To the beginning of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. We're taken out of the situation we find ourselves in in this particular point in the psalm, and we see that in the grand scheme of things, the maker of all things, and the one for whom all things are made, puts everything into perspective. It's because of that that we can find encouragement by being connected and united to him as the church. So because that's the case, we see there in verse 28, the children of your servants shall dwell secure, their offspring shall be established before you. Acquiring a, a heavenly perspective requires getting out of ourselves and getting into a, a point of uh, view or getting to a place where we can see the big picture. I started my sermon by noting that the view from the foxhole is actually a pretty good place to look out on the world because when you look out on the world and see that you're vulnerable and that you need God for everything that is required for life, it's a reality check. But that's not enough. We need a larger perspective to help us see that within God's grand plan, there is a bigger story that's being told, and we can find our place in that story and find comfort and assurance that we have a future, a destiny, that's not defined by the difficulties of our circumstances in the moment. And it's that sort of juxtaposition of those two outlooks. Here I am on the ground, 
in the midst of the distress and surrounded by forces that are trying to tear me apart, or at least that's the way it feels. And the big picture, which helps us to see that in the grand scheme of things, God has something in store for not just me, but his entire church, his people, Zion. And because of that, we can have a perspective that takes us out of the moment and actually puts us in a position to see the nature of the, of the challenges that we face in a grand scheme of things. I hope that encourages you. You might find yourself at this point in your life in the foxhole, feeling distressed. But the thing that I'd like you to, to know or remember is that's not the, the big picture. And within the big picture, uh, in the larger scheme of things, God is at work building up Zion, and it has a future. And you're part of that future, and your children are a part of that future. And the, the story of that, of that city uh, is a glorious one and is one that is worth associating yourself with and identifying with and thinking about your own troubles within the light of it. I hope that's an encouragement to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Help us in the midst of our distress. There are times in our lives where we feel overwhelmed, where there are financial difficulties or family difficulties or uh, difficulties of another nature, maybe with regard to health, and we feel vulnerable as though um, our lives are being, are being cut short. Help us, Lord, to uh, appreciate the view from that, uh, from that standpoint and to, and to call out to you when we when we feel that way, when we feel uh, distressed. But at the same time, Lord, help us to uh, rise up out of that situation and get a heavenly perspective to see that you are the creator and the one uh, that is uh, enduring, that when everything in this world uh, is rolled up like a scroll and passes away, you will remain, and that we, because of your salvation and the work you've done in our lives, will remain with you and enjoy Uh, eternity in your presence. In Christ's name I pray these things. Amen.